We're take our Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter number 5. We're moving right on through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews 5. And most of the verses are listed on your outline there if you just want it on there. There's also a lot of the chairs there are Bibles there as well. And there will be verses up on the screen. So you get plenty of Bible in the next 30 minutes or so. Actually, it was 37 last service, so we'll see what it goes this service. And so I kind of, after the first one, I kind of have an idea where it's going, but I don't say the same things I do in the first ones because it's just a little different than the first one. But Hebrews chapter number 5, if you remember last week, we looked at the end of chapter number 4. And go back to chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now when we look at the text and we look at who the book is written to, it is written to the Hebrews. So it's written to Jews, Jewish believers. And you'll notice that a phrase was just mentioned here that we haven't seen yet in the book, the fact that Jesus is our high priest. Now for us, we don't fully understand and know a lot of us off the top of our head. If, you're, if you study the word of God, you probably understand how the priesthood works and the high priest worked of the Old Testament. But most average Christians don't understand all of that. And so for these Jewish believers, they had to understand how is Jesus our high priest when he's not, of the, uh, he's not a Levite? And Aaron's try, and there's lots of things that go into it. So what the author here does under inspiration, and what we're going to look at today is, we're going to look at some principles about the priesthood and the high priest. We're going to see how Jesus qualified to be our high priest and how he is our high priest. That's going to be the message today. And so they need to understand that Jesus is better than the high priest was. And the high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice for sin for himself and for the people. And that sacrifice had to be made over and over again. Jesus died once for all. He became our high priest. And because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we can now have access to God through his son, Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I want you to read with me chapter number 5, verses 1 through 10 today. It says 11 on the screen. I don't know why it says 11, but we're only going through 10 today. Verse number 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? Verse 3. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he, was, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And as he, also, as he said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. 
And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to take the next few minutes this morning. We're going to break this down. And we're going to understand the Old Testament priesthood a little bit better. And we're going to see how Jesus fits into that and how Jesus is our high priest today. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. We love you. We need you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the truths that are found in your word. Help us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one, as we dive into our outline, some principles of the priesthood under the law of Moses. We see in the first couple verses, it kind of explains some things to us to help us understand the priesthood and how the high priest worked in the Old Testament. We look at verse number one, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. What the priest would do, he would do things for the people to God on behalf of the people. That's how that worked. And you see there it talks about he would offer gifts and sacrifices for sin for the people before God. And so as we look here this morning, I want to give you a few things. It's just some principles about the priesthood, and then we'll dive into how Jesus is our high priest. But first thing, letter A, is that God established the office. He established the priesthood in the office of high priest. God established it. God set it up. You can read in the book of Exodus towards the end of the book. I believe it's chapter 28. Leviticus talks more about it. God's the one who established it. So when it comes to the rules for the priesthood and the high priest, God's the one who gets to do that. You know, just like we could talk about lots of subjects today. God's the one who set up marriage, right? God ordained. God's the one who set up a marriage. I think we'd all agree on that. So that means God should be the one who defines what marriage is. Not congressmen or kings or anyone else. God should because God's the one who ordained it. God did those things. And so as we look here, God established the priesthood in the office of high priest, and it's described in Exodus 28. And as we look here and we think about these things, we see that the priest should have some things. He needs letter B. He needs to have compassion. The high priest does. He needs to have compassion. So why does he need to have compassion? Well, look at verse 2. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmities? And the high priest, as we look here, it's ideal, and he needs to have compassion. Why? Because he needs to have a ministering heart, a heart for the people that he serves with. And not only that, but in the fact that he isn't perfect, he can identify with the people that he ministers with. And so the Bible says here he can have compassion on those. And when we think about the high priest, God, had, God wanted the high priest to have his people on his heart. In fact, he gave him a breastplate to wear. On that breastplate, the high priest, there were 12 stones on this breastplate with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then on the shoulder straps, it had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel as well. And the whole intent was to stir up compassion and to have God's people on the heart of the high priest. So we see the fact that God, he set it up. He ordained it. He established the priesthood in the high, office of high priest. The priest should have compassion. The third thing, letter C, is the fact that the high priest is required for the people and for himself to offer a sacrifice for sin. We see that in verse number 3. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, and also for himself, to offer for sins. 
And the high priest would offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people, but he'd also have to make a sacrifice for himself in the fact that he wasn't perfect. This is the way God set it up. This is the way God ordained it to be. And so what would happen is the high priest would go, and on the Day of Atonement, he would offer a sacrifice for himself, and then he would go offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, and the sin would pass on till the next time the Day of Atonement came. And the high priest, this was his job. He would go to God on behalf of Israel. That's the way it worked. The last thing that I want to show you this morning is the fact that the high priest was taken from the community of God's people, but was not, but you understand, but was not chosen by God's people. There wasn't a vote. There wasn't campaigns by Aaron people. Vote for me. I want to be the high priest. And then whoever got the most votes got to be the high priest. It's not how it worked. God chose who the high priest would be. We see that in verse number 4. The Bible tells us here, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So we see the fact that the office of the high priest was a chosen by God situation. God chose it. God chose who it would be. And you've got to think about God used a specific line of people in Israel. If you remember, the Israel began with Abraham. Abraham and then Isaac. And then Isaac's sons, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Levi was one of the 12 sons. And Levi is the one that God chose to be the one to be the line of priests. And that's where the high priest came from and that lineage there. And so when God set it all up, and you'll notice in your notes there, there are several verses. And for sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of them. But they're all there for you. And you'll see that Aaron had three sons. Um, Gershom, Kohath, and Merari, M-E-R-A-R-I. And you could probably say that much better than me, but I'm just a white boy from California, and that's the best you're going to get out of me today, Merari. Something close to that. And I'm sure, I always have people that are like, Pastor, it's said like this. Then you say it for me, because you do a much better job than me. I just do the best I can with it all. And so you should see me taking Greek and Hebrew when I went to college. That was quite the thing, and that's why I had to take Greek a few times, because I didn't pa- I loved it so much I had to take it a few times. I actually failed it and had to take it again. But anyways, but that just, I didn't give up. I kept going. Well, you don't even know. You don't even know if I got a diploma or anything. It's in my office, but I'm just kidding. I'm just joking this morning. It's okay. You can, you can smile a little bit. It's okay. But anyways, these three sons, if you'll notice in your notes there, Numbers 3, tw- um, verse 25 and 26, talk about the sons of Gershom and what they would do. Chapter 3, verse 31 and 32, talks about what his next son there, Kohath, what they would do in the Merari. We see later on what they would do as priests and what their jobs were. There was only one high priest, and God is the one who chose the high priest. So as we go further this morning, number one, we see there are some principles that God established the priesthood and the office of high priest. The high priest should have compassion. The high priest would offer a sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of the people, and God is the one who chose who the high priest would be. We get all that, right? Number two this morning, Jesus is qualified to be our high priest. Well, if you were to look, does he come from the tribe of Levi? No. So how does he get this? Let's look at some things, and we'll see it this morning so it makes sense to you. As we look here, and we think, and let's go back before we get to point number two. I skipped something in my notes, and my 
la my iPad froze on me, so that's good. Who needs notes anyways? So before we go further, I just mentioned the fact that God's the one who establishes who the high priest is and who's not. Did you know there were examples in the Bible when people tried to exalt themselves to high priest and do the priestly duties that they shouldn't have? Korah was an example of that. Korah led a rebellion, and he was acting as a high priest. And literally there was an earthquake, and the ground swallowed him up. Saul, King Saul, remember he went in and he did some things that he shouldn't do and God wasn't happy about it. And remember Samuel comes along and Samuel's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you weren't here and we wanted God for this battle we were going to. And what did, well, I remember Samuel's words, he said that obedience is better than sacrifice. And God rejected Saul as king and Saul did those things. Uzziah, King Uzziah was a good king. He went into the temple and he literally had leprosy because of it. Changed his life because he decided to try and do some of the things that God designed for the priest to do. Just a thought for you this morning before we get into Jesus. Do you realize there are many people today who are trying to be their own high priest? And trying to offer their own sacrifices? And trying to find their own way to God? And do it their way? It doesn't work that way. God is the one who chooses, and God chose his son, Jesus Christ, to be our high priest. And that means that there is no way to get to God but through his son, Jesus Christ. There are many people that try and work their way and do whatever they can to get to heaven and to get to God, but it doesn't work that way. You need a high priest, and Jesus Christ is that high priest. And let's look today, number two, how Jesus is qualified to be our high priest. Look with me at verse number five and six. It says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So how is Jesus qualified to be our high priest? First of all, letter A, because he didn't make himself the high priest. The Father did. God made him the high priest. God chose him. When Jesus, during his earthly ministry... Can anybody help me with this? Did he walk into the temple and say, I'm the high priest now, move out of the way? Did he take control? No, he did not. He didn't make himself the high priest. The Father did. This, this uh, Hebrews here in verse 5 and 6 is quoting some passages from the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, verse number 7, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And then Psalm 110, verse number 4, talks about that this kingdom, this priest would be forever. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so as we look here, we realize the fact that Jesus literally did not make himself the high priest. God made him the high priest. God chose it. And as we look here and we think about that, do you see the phrase there that says, This day have I begotten thee? That is talking about as he rose from the dead. You'll notice, look with me down at verse number 9. And I know today, this is a lot of heavier stuff. This is more of a lesson, not a preaching sermon like I normally do on a Sunday. But look down at verse number 9. It says, and being made perfect. Was Jesus ever not perfect? He was always perfect, right? But this is talking about our redemption, being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him. So what that says and what that means is that Jesus had to die and he had to rise again to become our high priest. That's, what, that's why it's so important. There are many people out there that will believe that Jesus died, 
But they say, I don't believe he resurrected. I don't believe he rose again. Well, that is a big part of salvation. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The resurrection is key. His death matters. His resurrection matters. Because if he died and he didn't live again, he'd be like just anyone else, a martyr that died for a good cause. But if he died and he rose again, he proves that he is God becomes our high priest and he takes our offering before God once for all and settles it for all of us. And that's what this passage is talking about. Jesus didn't set himself up to be high priest. God did. And we see that this happened as he died and as he rose again. That's why he didn't walk in and take over as priest. That's why after Jesus rose again, there was no need for Israel to have a high priest. They had Jesus. He was their high priest. He's our high priest today. He is qualified for it. And letter B, we see the fact that Jesus is a priest forever. Aaron, the first, the first high priest, did Aaron, is, did he last forever? No. He had a span of time. Now you'll notice something. It's a, the name at the end there. A priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek's talked more about in chapter 7. And we'll talk a little bit more about Melchizedek in chapter number 7. And there are lots of people that have lots of opinions about Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a high priest, really, in the Old Testament. And when Abram, after a battle, he came to Abram after a battle. I believe Genesis 14, Genesis 15, right in that passage there. And so this guy, Melchizedek, had no beginning of days and no ending of days. That's what the scripture says. And I don't think that really, and I, I personally believe it's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, a Christophany you would call it, and because he had no beginning of days, no ending of days, he's the king of Salem, Salem, Jerusalem, it's the same city. He also brought the Lord's Supper to Abram. Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek. There's a lot to say there, but we'll talk more about Melchizedek in chapter number 7. So if you've got more questions or thoughts about Melchizedek, save those a little bit longer until we get to chapter number 7. But the thing is, when we look at Melchizedek, he had no beginning, he had no ending of days. Jesus Christ is a priest forever. He's not like the high priest that Israel had. And isn't that the theme throughout the book of Hebrews, that Christ is better? Christ is better than Aaron better than the office of the high priest. He now is our high priest, and he goes before God for us. When we look at this, we see the fact that there were some principles and, that were set up for the priest. Jesus is qualified, but number three this morning, we see, we look at the compassion that our high priest had for us. Look at verse seven and eight. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. It's amazing to me. We'll talk more about that obedience thought in a second. But as we look here and we think about the compassion that he had, we go back to letter A, the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed. That's what it's talking about right here. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26, Verse 36 to 39, Then cometh Jesus unto them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then he said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther 
and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And uh, as we look at these verses here in Luke 22, verse 44 says, talking about that prayer there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You know, there's really a scientific name for that. And he was, he was in so much travail and agony as he was praying. He literally was sweating drops of blood. Now, when we look at this, and we see, you're like, well, he didn't, look at what it, look at what it says there. He said, let this cup pass from me. Isn't that what he said? Now, there are many people that have many opinions, but I want you to understand when it comes to his cup, his cup, it was not him saying, I don't want to die for everyone. That cup represented God's wrath. It represented our sin. Jesus literally, he who knew no sin, became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He literally, in that moment, I believe what he was saying is, hey, if this cup could pass from me, the sin of mankind, the wrath of God, I'd be okay if it could pass. But whatever you want is what I will do. He God enough to submit himself to the will that God had. And you say, well, he is God, I know. Isn't that just amazing how that all sounds together? God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, all there, yes, all those things. And yes, the Son submitted himself to the Father's will. And so when he was there in the garden that day, he showed great compassion. And we see letter B, the fact that he accepted the Father's will. What a, what a statement there that Jesus made. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Luke twenty two forty two. It says, Father, if, it, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was willing to do what the Father wanted him to do. He was willing to take the cup. He was willing to suffer so that we could have life. We see letter C, that he also learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now this one, it's always amazing to me when I read verses like this there. Verse number 8 says, Though he were a son, and though he is God, though he's the son of God, look at that, look at that there, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now why do we learn obedience? Because we, all, I've mentioned this in the past, I've got four kids. Oldest is 12, youngest is 6. And of those four kids, I have not had to teach any of the four how to do bad things. I've never taught them. I've never sat them down and been like, all right, William, this is how you lie to mom. Let me teach you how to do it. This is how you disobey when I tell you to do something. This is how you don't share. I've never had to teach my kids that, right? Because they know how to disobey. It's in our nature. And they can be cute, sweet little newborns, but they have that. They all, we all have it in us. But as they get older and as they, what do we do? We teach them the right things to do. So why do we need to obey? Why do we learn to obey? Because we know how to disobey. Jesus never disobeyed. So he wasn't learning obedience from a point of disobedience like we do. Because Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. 
could you imagine, those of you, and I know some of the ladies in this, some of you families, you got new kids, new babies, and young kids. Could you imagine having a perfect baby that never cried at the wrong moments when they were extra hungry and they wanted more and you were done feeding them? They never, they're like seven years old and you could just, you know, you, you could trust everything they said? How would you like, hey, some of you teachers in the room, how would you like to have had Jesus as a student, the perfect student? It's no wonder his brothers and family didn't like him, his siblings, right? How would you like to have the perfect brother in Jesus? That's why, you know, and mom Mary would leave, and she would leave Jesus at home with Jude or with James, and then she would come back and something would be wrong, and she would look and be like, I know it wasn't Jesus, and of course James or Jude would be the ones to get in trouble. No wonder they didn't like him until after he basically wrote again. That's when they started following him. And how would you like to have a perfect brother? You wouldn't like that. And so, but when we look at Jesus, he learned, it's just amazing to me that God was willing to submit himself and obey. Because what God did was God put on flesh flesh has to learn to obey. He is God, so he knows how to obey. But literally, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the Bible tells us here that he learned this through suffering. And the suffering that he went through. We learn obedience because we disobey. He learned it through suffering. So as we look here today, we've seen some of those principles about the Old Testament priest. We've seen that Jesus is qualified. We see the compassion that he has. And lastly, number four, we're rounding the finish line here. Jesus is our perfect Savior. He is our high priest. Look at verse number nine and ten. It says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, as we look there, there are many people that will look at that phrase and being made perfect. So in other words, Jesus wasn't perfect till this time. No, we believe that Jesus, from the time he entered into this world, he was God at that moment. He didn't one day later on in his life figure out, oh, I'm Jesus and I'm God. No, he knew he was God from the beginning. We believe that he was sinless. When he got baptized by John, he didn't, the Spirit, that was not the first time he realized he was Jesus. We believe that he's the Son of God all the way through, from the baby in the manger till he died on the cross, and he was perfect the entire time. But for our sacrifice being made, his death and resurrection, death, burial, resurrection had to take place, and being perfected, complete. That's what that word means there. Look what it says there. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So Jesus becomes our high priest, he, not only that, but letter A, he became the author of eternal salvation. He wrote the book on it. No one else gets to write the book on eternal salvation because no one else is the author and the one who has done it. He completed our sacrifice. He became the author of our salvation. And when we look at that, we think about it. There are others that will take the rest of that verse too. Look at what it says. Unto all them that obey him. So unless I obey him, then I can't be saved then what you're saying there is you're saying you have to work your way to get to heaven. What is saying there, obey him, that means you come to God through Jesus Christ, God's way. It's obeying him for salvation. 
What salvation is, is that you and I cannot do it on our own. What men think is we can. And that's why there are many people who try to be their own high priest. And they try to offer their, they bring their good works before God, saying, I've done this and I've done that, and here are my good works, God. And God refuses those good works because you bring them on your own merit. And our righteousness is as filthy rags. They don't measure up to God. And what we deserve is sin and death for our sin. But God was so gracious and God so loved us, he gave us his son. And Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose again. He became our high priest. And he took his blood, applied it on the mercy seat of heaven. He applied it there on the mercy seat of heaven and washed our sins away once and for all. And the only way to get to heaven, the only way to get there is Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man, no woman, no one gets to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And just as the Old Testament, the Israelites could not enter in and offer a sacrifice and get to God, their high priest did it for them, and not even in a perfect way, our high priest, Jesus Christ, went to God, and because he went to God, Because he died, he rose again, he shed his blood, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. You and I, as we looked at last week, can come boldly before his throne and come confidently and rest assured that he'll he'll be there and give us the mercy and the grace that we need to help us through our life. And that all comes because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. We have a high priest. People need to quit trying to do it on their own and let their high priest, Jesus is the middleman. He's the mediator between God and man. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're missing out. And there are many people that are trying to work, 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 and get their way to Jesus, get their way to heaven. But Jesus already died and finished it. And all you got to do is trust him. Let him be your high priest. And he became the author of eternal salvation. And letter B and lastly, he was called by God as high priest. So why is Jesus our high priest? Because God called him to it. God chose Jesus to be our high priest. And this matters not only to the Jew, but it matters to the Gentile as well. You need a high priest. And if your high priest is anyone but Jesus, you're in big trouble. Jesus. I'm so thankful that he's our high priest. Aren't you thankful that he's our high priest? Aren't you thankful he made a sacrifice once for all that's good enough for all eternity? That his blood washed away my sins. That that blood sprinkled on the mercy seat of heaven. Cleaned me and washed me. And when God looks at me and looks at you that are saved this morning, he doesn't see our filth and see us in our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. 